What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Deer Gear Podcast. Happy Friday. Thanks for tuning in today. Today, I am joined by Dorge from Firenock. And again, we have Mr. Tyler Terry from Arizona on the podcast. And the last time we had him on, it was one of my favorite conversations that I've personally had on archery-related topics. And it was about perception versus reality what you're seeing versus what's actually happening to your arrows. Not just arrows, just everything in the hunting industry. So it's a really good podcast. It's eye-opening. If you haven't already listened to that, please make sure you make it a point to listen to that podcast because it is, it's really good. Tyler is a really educated dude, but he has the ability to relate topics, like super technical topics to the regular guy. So it doesn't overwhelm you. There's a substantial amount of good information in that podcast. And again, the same goes for this podcast. So today we're talking about draw length. Are you shooting the correct draw length? What happens if your draw length's too long? What happens to your if your draw length's too short? So there's a lot of good stuff in this podcast. I will say, if you're shooting well, you're comfortable, and the arrow goes where you're aiming, leave it alone. Don't mess with it, especially not right now. It's too late in the year. Hunting season's coming up. Don't go changing stuff because you listen to this podcast and you now think you're shooting the wrong draw. Like now's not the time to be making those changes in the off season though. Mess with it, toy with it, figure out what works best for you. You might think that you're doing a really good job, but you tweak one thing and it gets that much better. I made a change on my draw length this year. I went from 28 inches to 27 and a half inches. Although the bow feels more comfortable, the draw cycle is more comfortable. I don't shoot it as well as I shot my 28 inch draw. So although technically I'm a 27 and a half inch draw, I shot the 28 inch better. So I'm just saying now's not the time to be making these changes, but don't discount this information. There's some really good information in this podcast. Tyler and Dorge dropped some really good tidbits of information. So hope you guys enjoy it. I won't delay this any further. Let's get into the podcast. What's going on, folks? Welcome back to another episode of the Deer Gear Podcast. Today, I'm joined again by Dorge from Fireknock, and we have Tyler Terry again with us. If you guys haven't listened to the episode with the three of us previously, please go back and listen to that because it is one of my favorite podcasts I've ever done, especially talking about archery and um, components. So that is a must listen. Tyler, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing pretty good, man. How are y'all? I'm doing great. Thanks for joining me, George. What about you? I'm the always as usual. Great. That's good. That's good. Well, today we have uh, a really good topic and it's super timely. So there are an influx of new hunters every year around this time. And there's people that are getting excited about deer season. Today is August 16th as we record this. And quite frank, quite frankly, they're behind the eight ball, but this is the rush every single year of getting a new bow. And today we're going to talk about kind of the process of setting up a new bow, what you need to be looking for, and what the tech is going to be doing or should be doing to your bow to get you set up to hunt this fall. So uh, this is a, a topic that Tyler wanted to talk on, so I'll let you take it away. What's the first thing someone needs to be looking for? So, I mean, the big thing for me is, is make sure, you know, and this will probably happen our, our deer season opens Friday. So we've got, you know, just a few days before deer season gets here. And I'll probably go through this with people 10 times between now and then just folks that are like, 
trying to get something set up to hunt this weekend. Um, you know, so the crazy thing is, 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 uh, mostly is making sure that, you know, do your homework and make sure you're going to find a bow that's going to work for what you want to do. Um, you know what I mean? And, and really pay attention to the things that matter in a bow, you know, cause now there's a lot of terms that are thrown out, uh, you know, and a lot of it's marketing and whatever, and people talk about how bow, easy bows are to shoot and so forth and so on. But in all reality, you know, you need to, to pick a bow that's going to help you be successful, you know, maybe based on your stature, the shape of your face. Um, you know, are you going to be hunting out of a ground blind? Are you going to be out west taking 70 and 80 yard shots? Like what, what is your game? What are you doing? Um, you know, first and foremost, have somebody help you if you don't know pick a bow that is going to work best for you um, in your situation, right? Or if you want something that's just going to be all around, I need something <clears throat> that I can do everything with. You know, I'm a one bow guy. I need to find something I can do everything. With. Cool. Make sure you find something that's going to work for you. You know what I mean? So do I recommend a 31 inch draw length guy getting a bow that's sub 30 inches axle to axle? No, you're going to, it's just, it's going to be hard to anchor great with that bow. Um, exactly. it's, it's just not going to fit your face very well. The string angle is not going to fit your face very well. Even bows that are super, um, you know, have great big cams and all that stuff. And they're like, well, it changes the string angle. Yeah, it does, but it's minimal. Mm -hmm. um, you really need to have something that's going to fit your face good. I mean, think about this. People complain about bows that are long, you know, like I hunt with like a 34 or five inch bow normally, uh, if I can, like this year I'm 33 inches or something, but it's, it's, and I don't have a long drawing. I'm only like a little over 28 inches. Yep. And like part uh, of that, I mean, how tell people how tall you are. So at least people got a reference because yeah, so that, for me, been... for me, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm like five, eight, um, you know, 180 pounds. And, and it's a, you know, I've got a little over 28 inch draw length, which even for my size is on the longer side. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of guys my size have a 27 inch draw length or maybe just a hair over 27. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, I guess I'm lucky for the short guys. <laughs> I don't know. Well, but it's, it's one of those things you've got to make sure, you know, the, the biggest key to me in accuracy is making sure this thing fits you right. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and accuracy is the number one thing we're looking for, right? We've well, got to be able to make accurate shots. Well, actually, I want something to add because I think a lot of people forgot one of the most important things when I set up somebody with a bow with a person, okay? Mm -hmm. In archery, my opinion, drawing is critical. You know that when I first, back in the 1990s, when I first was given a bow and was tested for drawing, you know what they told me mine is? 30. 27 and a half. Oh, gotcha. You know why? The guy told me that he gave me one of his best seller release, a Fletcher double jaw, which will require my second finger to fully extend. And then the jaw is another inch and a half from my finger. Mm -hmm. When the gentleman, which I finally gave him a talk to uh, Kristen, which is one of the chief designer and salesperson for Scott, not the current Scott, the old Scott. And mm -hmm. he teach me to use uh, the Wildcat from Scott, which I still consider, especially NCS version. Do you know what my drawing is with that Scott release? 29. 29 and three quarter. Yeah. So we're talking two and three quarter inch difference. 
just by changing your release. So I think a lot of people really did not recognize. I mean, just like the, the gentleman from uh, uh, who worked for uh, the Peoria School District who come to see me, the first thing I did is that he's still shooting his own <laughs> magic switchback XT. The moment oh. I changed his release, he actually added two inch to his draw length. And yes, he's shooting 60 pounds, but that extra two inch make all the difference. And a lot of people, I mean, lately, the number one thing I tell people, if you are new to archery, really new to archery, and you go to a bow shop and you bought one of those brand new bow, which I think a lot of people are going to hate me for saying this, you are better off getting one of the old ones and get it set up right. Because the brand new bow, like the new bow tag, the new Hoyt and so on, unless you've got somebody really know what they're doing and help you, you're going to be in a, hell, a lot of hurt. Well, so on the topic of draw length, I think draw length is one of the f- most often wrong things on someone's bow. I think I shot an incorrect draw length for three years. Um, <laughs> I, I watch a lot of YouTube videos on determining the proper draw length. And there's a guy, I don't know if you guys follow, um, MFJJ. He's a bow tech out West and mm-hmm. podium archery. Yep. 90% yeah. of the people that come into his shop, he shortens their draw length. So what is the actual proper way to determine your draw length? So you're not uh, shooting it incorrectly for three or four years. First of all, you need to decide what release you're going to use and the one you like first, because that's where pretty much your initial starting point from that point onwards is what bow you, I mean, that is the number one thing. Because if you decided your shooting style and how you use the release, by changing a release, you literally change your drawing. Some bow you can change your drawing, some bow you can't. And by changing drawing, I remember the days of the uh, race attack. Just by changing from, say, a 26 to a 27, the bow behaves so differently on the race attack. But that is other changes. So I think the first thing one person has to decide is to find a bow and a release together as a kit to start with. And uh, from that point onwards, that's your starting point. Because without that, it's like asking people, how do you determine the arrow length? Number one thing is that what arrow is you gonna use too? So the drawing errors release, I get that three things are, I think are, they're so interrelated to each other. And then also depends on the skill of your bow tech or whoever sell you the bow. I think that is one of the most important thing. His skill and experience trumped everything. Because he just like, you go to one of the most experienced Hoyt dealer and then you give him one of your Matthews. 90% of the time, he should be, he or she should be able to handle it. But how do I say? It's like me going to a lawyer that is not really good to handle a case. You're pretty much screwed from the get-go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Tyler said a lot more both professionally than I do. I think he would have a much more better insight than I yeah. do on that side. I mean, but I think those are the baselines for me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, your, your release style definitely can determine draw length a lot. And a lot of them nowadays are, you know, it, it you know, it depends on, are you shooting a wrist strap style release or are you going to shoot a handheld release? Um, you know, I know for me personally, with the stuff that I use now, I, you know, I, I hunt, hunt, shoot targets, do everything with a handheld release. I shoot, uh, you know, a hinge and a thumb button style for pretty much everything. So really, you know, George was good there when he's talking about making sure you understand what release you're going to use. Um, 
And then the other thing is, is, you know, the axle to axle of the bow makes a difference on draw length as well. And here's the deal, especially if you're new, um, you know, you go to any, I'm not gonna say any, you go to a reputable bow shop and they should be able to get you close to what your finished draw length is gonna be eventually. Because the way, the, and, and this is why I say this, because especially when you start with somebody that's new, um, drawing a bow back is going to be weird, mm -hmm. right? It's going to, it's not a natural thing. It's not even something you can really work out at the gym. I mean, I know you see people trying to do it, but in all reality, how you learn to draw a bow is by drawing a bow. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a certain kinematic sequence that goes into drawing a bow and it's going to take a little bit before your body settles and you get comfortable actually drawing it because you know, the first few times you shoot one, the first 500 times you shoot one, you may not exactly know and have your anchor point perfect. You may not have, um, you know, understand that you need to set your peep height to like a medium range that you're going to shoot regularly. Like it, those are things that you may not have dialed in yet. So your draw length may vary an inch from where you start to where you finish. I can shoot a bow that's an inch too short for me and an inch too long for me. And it will look the same. The only thing, how it fits my face looks the same. Everything looks the same. The difference is, is one is going to be my alignment and then how the bow aims. Draw length is super critical on getting a bow to aim well. Like my sight picture determines a lot. Um, so how it fits your face is only part of it. How the bow points and aims is a major deal. Um, especially, you know, it, it's just, it's one of those deals where as far as forgiveness and things of that nature, can you make a lot of things work? Sure can. But until you've actually spent some time with it and, and then what I'm saying is going to start to make more sense. The more you shoot it, you're going to be like, Oh, okay. Because there'll be some light bulb moments, but initially, you know, like for me, a short axle to axle bow, I'm going to shoot a slightly longer draw length than what I will a long axle to axle bow. And it all has to do with the shape of the string and either how acute or obtuse the angle is of the string based on how it fits my face. So I don't have a set D loop length. I don't have a set exact draw length for every bow. It depends on the geometry of the bow will determine what my finished draw length is. It might be 27 and seven eighths. It might be 28 and three eighths depending upon the, the string angle of the bow and you know and my d loop may change very you know because literally I, I get the draw length to fit my face and how i want the bow to aim and then i set my anchor with d loop length okay and the, the, the thing is is people don't need to confuse total draw length with adding your d loop they're like oh well, i'm a 29 i got a half inch draw length that makes me 29 and a half no it doesn't mm -hmm. it's not how that works your, your draw length is set for, you know, how it fits your face and how the bow aims. Your D-loop length sets your anchor point. And so, and then your, your release style determines that. Um, you know, if I shoot a wrist strap release and just depending upon what style of wrist strap release, depending on how close the trigger is to the head of that release, mm -hmm. will also determine loop length. So if I've got one, like a lot of the newer ones, the the trigger is very close to the jaw of the release. So I'll shoot a longer loop, D loop to get set my anchor because that 
that trigger being so close to the jaw moves my hand further up. Sure. So in reality, I guess you could shoot a longer draw length with one of those a shorter, a shorter loop, but then you run into some other issues. Now you have maybe fletch contact on your face and you're going to run into some other issues and you're starting to get a lot of your face on the bowstring, which creates a whole nother set of issues. Um, can you shoot pretty well with one like that? Yeah. But the thing is, is it's not ever going to be optimal. You don't ever want to bury your face in it and all that stuff. I mean, it just creates a lot more issues because when you, a lot of these bows nowadays, especially the ones with super high let off and they've got no holding weight, they are so finicky on facial pressure, on mm -hmm. hand position, on um, any like nose pressure with your nose on the string, like any of those things. I mean, your cam being an eighth inch or less out in timing will change vertical knock travels a lot of times nowadays. So you've, you've got to be super careful on those bows and it, and it, you know, like I said, we've covered this in the last one. They're easy to draw back and hold at full draw. They are not so easy to be repeatable with um, mm -hmm. and, and shoot consistent arrow flight with, and especially nowadays trying to fly broadheads and stuff. I mean, that's why, you know, a lot of people have gone to mechanical broadheads because that has become like back in the day, the big birth of golf clubs, it's the handicap, right? So it, it, is helping to eliminate some tuning issues that people have had for a long time. And, and the, the issues is, is not necessarily so much in the broadheads, it's in bow design. Um, mm -hmm. And people being fascinated with holding seven pounds on their 75 pound bow at full draw, which I get it, it's easy to hold back, but it creates far more problems to me than just what your holding weight is. Um, yeah, your accuracy suffered immensely. Yeah. And then actually, see, there's another thing is that when a person was ready to shoot the bow and then you all of a sudden discover, that's where I think release becomes such a big deal. For anybody who actually I learned how to hunt, I always get them a nylon connection system or a string connection system because I find out majority of the new guys. I mean, yes, the, the, the hand holding thumb release, they are great in so many ways. But except you need to really, really know what you're doing because your hand position mm -hmm. and so on, you predict yeah. so much torque on the holding that grip. The fact, the worst that part is that your anchor point are never, ever accurate for most of the guys initially start with a handheld. Yeah, no, I agree. So that's the reason that, and, and then not to mention with a handheld, the only adjustment you have at that moment is your loop. But when you're using like a nylon connection system, you can easily add 164 or minor because you've got a strap to work with. Yeah. No, I, a lot I, of times, I a lot of times there's so many guys who tried to pretty much figure what he needed to start with. I think the best thing to do is that you go to a reputable bow shop or somebody who have done enough and listen. And then we most cases don't listen once, but listen to others. And then in some way, the only way to do it is to educate yourself. This is yeah. such a sad situation because let me tell you how bad it is. When I first bought my bow, I shot it for five years before I shot my first deer. It's not that I'm good. The deer was unlucky because my cam was actually mounted crooked from the factory without me knowing for six years. Yeah, and how are you supposed because to know I that? Did. Exactly. My Oneida upper cam plate was mounted an eighth of an inch because whoever drilled it, drilled it off. So my upper cam was crooked. 
my side pins are diagonal and I did not know it is not supposed to be that way. You mean you weren't, you didn't realize that you were, you were not supposed to have lateral knock travel? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, because see, I went to Archery Custom and I have the guy be, who owned the shop before Terry, supposed to be friend of Fred Bear, and I have him set up my own either. I remember back in 1989, I paid the guy 80 bucks. That's a lot of money back in 1989 to get the bow set up right. Hmm. He gave me the fracture release and I, my cam was off and nobody tell me. That's the reason my 20, 30 yard pin is diagonal. diagonal. Uh, uh, because see, I first tried to use a, uh, it's called a fine line sight. And I, I had to I had to bend the sight sideways because it's a rectangular sight to shoot. Oh, I used to have those old uh, uh, fiber optic uh, flat No, blades. no, no, it's lines, it's steel wire that you oh, put on top of because then later, I had to physically bend the site. I had to bend a piece of steel diagonally to match what I had. Because this is crazy. I say, oh, maybe this is the reason they use that soft steel in the middle so you can bend the site. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I yeah, know it's... we're I know we're kind of harping on this, but I don't want to leave this topic yet because I think it's very important. I think it's something exactly. that, I, that I struggled with. But um, to what you guys are saying, so. Um, I've never had someone set my draw length up correctly from what you guys are saying. So let me tell you the experience I have. I go into a bow shop and any bow shop I've ever gone into. I'm one of those guys that like for the first three years of my bow hunting career, I bought a new bow. Like, oh, I got to have that. It's sweet. You know, I got to have the new one. And every time I go into the uh, bow shop and I buy a new bow, they tell me to spread my arms, measure from tip of my finger, tip of my finger. And divide it by 2.5. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's my draw length. And yeah. that's, that's what I've been set up with. And I've never had someone tell me to draw back and change my do D loop length. They've never asked me what release I'm shooting. Yeah. Um, so from what you guys are saying, that's not the optimal way to set up a draw length. No, that's a baseline. Yeah. I mean, that'll get you close. So that's what I'm saying. So what they're doing is not a hundred percent wrong at all. It's in, in, cause that kind of touches back on, what we were saying. So, you know, a lot of times I like to take somebody and have them like put their, their hand in the, in a, like a door jam as if it was a bow, you know what I mean? Like that door jams, the handle, have them stand naturally with their feet underneath their uh, hips. You know what I mean? Be in a straight line and a erect spine and then turn their face basically to the wall as if they were drawing the bow, like the walls, the bow, and then basically measure from there, from, from the wall to the like, underneath their eye basically okay. uh, you know right underneath their eye corner of their mouth somewhere um and then add an in 1.75 inches because that's how all these bows are done nowadays um because how i when i put a bow in a draw board i measure from the throat of the grip the deepest part of the grip to the apex of the string plus 1.75 inches will give you x draw length right yep um so that's what's going to give you draw length that's how i will get somebody started um, because that's the easiest way for me to replicate a bow or replicate them drawing a bow, their natural body positions. Um, sure. Those other ways are going to get you close too, because what I'm doing is still only getting me close. Um, and then from there, it's kind of a, the person has to understand what they're seeing and you have to be able to relay that to be able to make fine draw length changes. Because let me explain something, man, an eighth of an inch in draw length will make a dramatic difference in your sight picture. So let me give you an example. 
a draw length that is too long, you will get a slow, big swooping sight picture. Okay. Yeah. So let's say it's out there doing figure eights or just moving a little bit. You're trying your best to hold it in the dot. Um, a, a long draw length is going to be a slower, bigger sight picture. Okay. Yeah. And sometimes it may even be harder to keep it up in the dot. All right. A draw length that is too short will generally be nervous, a little more twitchy, uh, a nervous feel, you know, and, and you're going to have inherent misses. Um, you know, for right-handed people, a draw length that's too long, a lot of times you're going to miss a lot of shots out left. Like you may shoot three down the middle and two that are out left, and that's because you were working harder to get the shot off, and you're going to push the bow. Everything is going to go out left because you're overextended. Okay. You know, you're going to miss arrows in the, you know, 9 to 11 o'clock range a lot. Um, a draw length that's too short, a lot of times you'll have a very nervous sight picture. It'll just kind of twitch in the middle and then it'll you'll have like little jumps like it'll squirt out to the the right at like five o'clock or straight six o'clock or something you know those are inherent traits of a short draw length uh real nervous sight picture um and you're just going to feel kind of compressed you know if you look at somebody if you're a good a good tech and, and somebody that spent a bunch of time behind a bow or a coach or whatever um they're going to be able to look at your body alignment and see where you're struggling and then read your target. They're going to be able to look at your target, see where your misses are, look at your body structure and your shoulder alignment, things of that nature and see that you're struggling. And to go back to like George's point with the handheld wrist strap release on a nylon um, attachment system, I a hundred percent agree. It is the most finite adjustment that you can get easily, especially for somebody new. All of my releases in here that are wrist strap releases, every one of them, my shop is on a um, some sort of adjustable nylon strap that is infinitely adjustable. Not, you know, the, the solid rod style ones, are, they're not that they're bad. You just don't have the freedom that you have on, an, uh, on a, uh, you know, the nylon ones. So, um, and with a, a wrist strap release, inherently, even if you're drawing like this too long or too short, your alignment will be better. Mm -hmm. because with a handheld release it's a lot more critical draw length is super critical with a wrist strap release like that your alignment will always be a lot more linear just because of the nature of the release how it's in mm -hmm. your hand how it attaches to your body your 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 you know hand relationship to your face and your anchor all those things are going to be a lot more linear um, so you'll probably run into less left and right issues initially. A lot of it's going to be, um, well, I think my drawing's a little too long because I can't keep it up in the dot. All right. Or you've got one that, well, I think it's too short. I just feel compressed and, and it's hard for me. You know, some people the drawing is too, too short. Even it's harder to keep it at full draw because you're not able to fully extend your body. You know, in all reality, a really good place to set a draw length is, is you've only got so far you can go, right? You need to be three quarters to seven eighths of your full extension in your draw length, right? So that way you've got good skeletal alignment. Your skeletal alignment's major. People, a lot of people think you support that bow with muscles and, and really you don't. Um, you got to keep as much of that stuff relaxed as, you, as relaxed as you can and use your skeleton to support the bow. Um, those are, those are critical things and, and having a, 
a good guy at, at the bow shop or a coach, maybe even, you know, somebody that spent some time in competitive archery that understands these things um, is somebody that would be highly beneficial for you um, to, to get an education from, you know what I mean? And have somebody that can take the time to sit there and watch you shoot a few arrows, read your target, see your body position, all those things are, and then they're going to be able to relay to you how to understand what's going on. Hey, tell me what mm -hmm. you see. What's your sight picture? See, what is your pen doing at full draw? Oh, well, it's doing this. Okay, cool. These are a couple of things that could be creating that issue, right? Or you may just be somebody that can just hold it in the middle all the time. And if you are, congratulations. That's awesome. That's not me. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember when I, uh, I finally found somebody actually in the South South Chicago Bible shop, by the way, the shop closed. The guy teach me one of the most important things, which has cost me my first success. When I go and put my bow on, you know what? When I called him, you know what he told me to do? Close your mm. eyes. No, bring your hunting jacket. Mm. Yeah. Because it, you would not believe how many times that I have customer come to me with a freaking white t-shirt like myself all the time and then draw the bow and say, everything is okay. Then they bring out their old real tree, super puffed jacket. <laughs> <laughs> and they say they keep on missing deer. And they say, did you slap your coat? No, it never happened. And I pretty much look at his sleeve and say, yep, you did. <laughs> yeah. That's well, reason a shorter drawing in some way. And then your the, NC, the nylon connection system is so good because you, when, when just like Tyler said, when you deal with customer in that category, until you're able to help him to adjust them, because the, until, I mean, if you're a target shooter, no big deal. But if you're a hunter, a serious hunter, you're going to go into deep winter. That moment, your geometry, which you would like in summer, are no longer the same because you sure. just add the girt and width to every part of you. Sure. Yes, you may not think it's a lot, but then it is going to be. And on top of that, even your finger, when you are grabbing your release, unless you are really like me, I use like your hand mouth and so on. I can touch my trigger and keep everything. If you're wearing gloves, no, everything changes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the gentleman actually, when he set me up with my, uh, the first Indian XI that I killed quite a few deer with, he said, bring your winter coat, bring your gloves. From that point onwards, no more Gore-Tex super thick gloves. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I don't wear a glove on my on my shooting hand. I understand that, but when 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 you talk to one of my customers who's in South Dakota, shot a deer negative fourteen, you appreciate glove a lot more. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially not in the blind, but something in the ghost blind. You're yeah. open. Yeah, the negative fourteen will change your idea what a glove is real fast. Yeah, at least that's what they told me. Frostbite come in about less than five minutes. Jeez. Hmm. One other thing that one other thing that you mentioned a handful of times that I want to touch on is uh, how the bow fits your face or how it fits your face. What is the I what's proper? What should people be looking for on how a bow should fit your face? I would say the most thing is find your natural point. And my my setup is that when anybody comes to my shop, I would tell them to your natural stand, hold your bow, and then do a and then I, I insist them they close their eyes and full draw to the most normal position they have. When they open their eyes, everything has to come natural. Everything has to be in line. Because if you cannot get that, which is your natural position to start with, you don't have, you, you, you're not even there. And a lot of times I have customers come to me 
when they fully draw, I mean, their freaking bow, their whole body backside up is reverse arc. That's pretty much you tell them they are way too long. That's then use a shorting drawing to get them to bow in a little bit. A little people, a lot of people like say, well, how come my arm is not using my, my bow should be straight and so on. And say, no, it should be a very weird triangle. It's not a right angle triangle. A lot of people thought it is. It is not. Because if truly right in triangle, that's not your back. Because your pivot point is on your bow holding, the end of your bow holding arm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, the thing is, is, is when you, you know, you talk about fit in your face, like for me, that fitment is different than for other people. And it even comes down to like, do you wear eyeglasses? Um, do you, you know, the shape of your face, like for me, I don't have a real wide face, but I've got a long head, right? So I've got like an alien head. So how the bow fits me is a little different. Um, you know, for me, it, I generally touch the, you know, just barely lightly put any pressure with the end of my nose on the bowstring. And it generally will run depending upon how far away I'm shooting because your anchor point will change slightly. It will either be, the string will either run right over the top corner of my lip or at longer distances it'll run right into the corner of my lip so it'll float just a little bit mm -hmm. um but for me it's finding a relationship that is repeatable on my face and that puts my head in a natural position if i draw this thing back and then i've got to poke my head down to get in the peep that doesn't work very good i could that means that either the the draw length is too short or the string angle is so acute that it forces me to have to duck my head to see through the peep, you know, and that for, for the given anchor point that I have, you know, I would much rather be able to shoot a bow that is comfortable where I can put my head in a natural position. You know, I don't, I don't need to pick my head up to peek through it. And I don't necessarily want to duck my head to look, look through it. I, I want to try to keep as natural a position as I can and be able to get, you know, two or three points of contact for my face. So it's repeatable. Uh, you know, you, the whole thing is, is, is finding things that are repeatable. You know, the tip of my nose, the corner of my mouth, my anchor point, those are the things that are just natural that I go to every time. Right. And it's just a, it's a muscle memory thing and your body will start developing a, a kinematic sequence to draw the bow. It's going to, you know, it fires these muscles at these times to get the bow to this position. And then the same thing when you execute your shot, you know, everybody does it a little different. Some people, you know, shoot a back tension style shot. Some people shoot a command style shot, but whatever way works for you, um, you need to make sure that you, you do it the same every time. I mean, the, the deal with being consistent with archery is making sure, you know, there's, there's not, you know, an ideal perfect form. Perfect form for you is whatever you can do the same every time, okay? Um, when I say fit my face, that's what I mean for me. Some people, it's not going to be on the tip of their nose. Some people, like if they wear eyeglasses and stuff, it may be on the side of their face because they're going to have to turn their head slightly to be able to see clearer through their glasses. Because if you turn mm -hmm. your head like the way that I do with it on the end of my nose, I'm looking through the corner of the glasses. Yep. So I, it, it interrupts my um, field of view. Okay. So uh, you know, people that wear a glass, a lot of times you won't see that. They'll have their face slightly turned and the string will sit next to their nose, maybe. Um, and that's okay. It doesn't, that's totally fine. It's whatever is going to be repeatable for you. It's just like, you know, people talk about for years how perfect Tiger Woods' golf swing was. 
but Jim Furyk kicked his ass a few times. You know what I'm saying? And he's got a crazy golf swing. It really comes down to what, what are you going to do that is comfortable for you, that fits the way that you can repeat it every time. That's a good point. That's, that's going to be the deal. I've, we, uh, we talk about that here in the office and we relate it to like basketball and yeah. just, you see Steph Curry that has just the most beautiful release, the most beautiful shot. And then you look oh, yeah. at, you look at another guy that has just the most unorthodox sight, but it goes in and it's like, yep. which one's hey, better? They both results, go results matter, man. And the thing is, is however you achieve your result that you want, roll with it. Don't 100%. let somebody tell you that it's going to be Jack because we're all made different, right? And mm-hmm. I, I, hell, I, I thought about writing a book before, and I was going to call it, you know, the the shape of archery, because there's there's no stereotype. You know what I'm saying? You don't you don't have to be six four and athletic. You don't. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, what your gender is, what color you are. None of those things matter. If you want to shoot a bow, you can shoot a bow. You don't even have to have all of your limbs. And there's guys out there that prove it daily and it amazes me and the cool thing about it is is if you want to do it we can figure it out mm-hmm. we, can, we can make a way for you to shoot a bow if that's what you want to do so you don't there is no perfect it's what is perfect for you this is such an individualized sport that you know and it, it just takes some time it takes some experimenting i mean i'll be honest with you right i've i've got a decent amount of education but the majority of my archery knowledge has come from tinkering and trial and error. Test it and not. The thing that I, I'll be honest with you that my education gave me the most, it taught me how to properly test and troubleshoot something. Mm, okay. Above anything. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it, helped me un- it helped me understand some properties of things and things of that nature. And Dorch can probably attest to this, but it really taught me how to, to really test something to know what I'm looking at, to be able to figure mm-hmm. out if my data matters or if it doesn't matter. Is this applicable to me or is it not applicable to me? Is this going to be a significant change? Is this going to be something that is beneficial or not? I mean, those are the things that it really helped me with. And then other than that, it's, it's really time behind the bow, learning what cause and effect things are, you know, make a change, shoot it, document it, see what happens. I'm a big, mm-hmm. big, uh, you know, I like for people to take notes, write down what is going on. And even with your hunting bow, I spend more time with my hunting bow. And I think we talked about this in the last podcast. I spend more time dialing in my hunting bow, making sure it is right than I ever do a target rig. Just, I mean, I'm trying to fly a broadhead and I'm trying to do it at great distance through the wind in not perfect situations. I mean, out here, out West, especially, and even out of a tree stand. Are you telling me that your bow is going to react the same hanging out of a tree saddle or a tree stand as it is when you're standing flat on your back porch shooting a back target? Nope. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Just, well, I've had a ton of people coming in here lately um, want me to help them tune their bow. We're, we're paper tuning them. We're broadhead tuning. We're doing all those things to help them be successful this year. And, you know, like here, Arizona is a fully draw only for like bull elk tags. And or any elk tag for that matter. Um, and, you know, a lot of times these guys wait 10, 12, 15, 20 years, even as a resident for these tags. And so they're ideally want to make the absolute most of their opportunity they've been given with that tag. And when they come in and we start talking to them about things, I'm like, well, do you shoot your bow? Like when you're hunting, do you shoot it with your quiver on the bow? Yes. All right. Bring it. Do you, you know, when you do all these things, 
I need you to be how you are going to be in the field when I tune your bow, because that matters. The bows now are sensitive enough that I need you to have all the things that you're going to have on it when you take the shot at your elk, because I'm going to tune your bow around that, around you and the equipment that's on it. Because we could get a perfect hole through paper and then you take your quiver off and shoot it. And it looked like you threw a tomahawk through the paper. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly. So, so, and and people are like, that matters. I'm like a hundred percent. It matters. I need you, you know, Mm -hmm. you want to have the best chance for success. We need to help you dial this in as it's going to be used in the field. And let me tell you something. Go ahead. Sorry. I mean, and that, that's literally it. It's just, and, and it's kind of opened some people's eyes. They're like, well, man, before I used to just, I'd take my bow in, I'd hand it to the guy across the counter. They'd paper tune it for me and give it back. And it was great. I'm like, no, it wasn't great. Your perception was great because you paid money for a service. But in all reality, mm-hmm. you should have just put it in the floor, lit it on fire and walked out of the shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you how bad it is. Just to carry yourself a quiver issue. I got a customer who told me because he just went to a pronghorn hunt. Actually, uh, not pronghorn. Uh, this is a mule deer hunt. He was good at it, but when he shoot the third, when he shot the third arrow at the deer, it's no good. You know what changed? Mm. The weight of the quiver. Oh he yeah. Still have four arrows on it. He yeah. shot at it two times. Yeah. That's the reason I say if you're really going to crawl on those things, don't use a, 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 a bow mount quiver, mm. hip mount, whatever, because it's going to change. Because think about it, you just knock 800 grains vertically off your bow after you shot two arrows. Yeah, hanging off of one side of your bow. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the guy said, what happened? I just cannot make it right. I say, this is the third arrow you shot at it, right? Mm-hmm. I say, yes. And he said, but the, the, the more the more arrow I shot at it, the worse off it is. I say, very easy. Yeah. Wait. He said, what wait? I say, you just take two, two arrows off your bow. And that's the reason I say, if you're going to crawl and other things, Use a hip quiver. Do not use bow and quiver. Yeah. You're going to regret it. Especially when uh, in Western state, like anything about Arizona and West, that wind of the arrows on your bow when you was trying to draw it under gust, you'll regret every single arrow on it. you got a sail on the side of your bow. Um, <laughs> you know, for, for me, it, you know, I grew up in Texas, you know, hunting out of tree stands and ground blinds and stuff like that. And I hunted in Oklahoma and kind of all over there for a while. And, and I grew up, you just didn't, I've never left my quiver on my bow. I got, got up, got in the stand, took the quiver off, hung it in the tree, loaded an arrow, done. Um, I do not like the way my bow feels with a quiver on it. I don't like the way it balances. It's total jank to me. My bow doesn't aim good. It just doesn't work for me. I come out here and everybody's like, wait a minute, you don't shoot with your quiver on your bow? I'm like, no. They're like, well, what are you doing when you stalk? I'm like, I take it off and I either carry it or I grab an extra arrow and I set it down. I mark it on Onyx and I roll out. I'm like, that's literally how it goes down. I said, you know, I, I said, you don't get a lot of opportunities to take a shot, right? When I do, I want to make the absolute best shot I can make. For me, that's not with a quiver on my bow. It just brings in a whole lot of variables, man. And is there people that are successful every year and make it work? Absolutely. It's what they know. It works for them. That That's great. For me, I, I can't do it. Um, I would have to put so much weight on the opposite side of my bow to balance that thing that it would, it would weigh a ton. I'd have to have 25 pounds of holding weight just to keep my bow off the ground. 
Um, it's just, it's a, not something that works for me, you know, and nowadays if you, cause you got to think there's a lot of other things. Every time you start adding weight in different locations away from the fulcrum of the, of the grip of your bow, you're changing angular momentum in different places of the bow. And it starts changing how that bow reacts from the time the, the, the actual arrow is fired on its way back to brace. So from full draw on the way back to brace, that is when problems happen. So that is when weird grip pressure, different facial pressure, uh, two less quiver arrows in your quiver, all those things, that's when all that changes because when you change mass in particular area of the bow, it's going to change how that thing reacts as the string travels back to brace to deliver the arrow. And mm -hmm. that is what is going to be the critical thing. Like to George's point, um, you know, when he was sighting that bow in the guy shooting the antelope, he probably didn't have a loaded quiver on the side of his bow shooting it at the house. So after he shot down three or four arrows and was down to where it was more mimicked how he originally sighted it in, it probably hit right behind the pin. And he probably made a good shot. You know what I mean? That's, that's the thing. That's the part that, that people maybe don't, they just don't, this goes back to, they don't know what they don't know. No one has ever said, or they have not experienced enough of the trial and error thing to have figured this out. You know? Mm -hmm. So, okay. Before we, before we go too much into that stuff, I need to take a couple steps back to the repeatability. So in order, yeah. in order to um, keep your draw repeatable and your face pressure repeatable, there are some tools that some people may use. Kisser button, nose button. What are your guys' opinions on those? My personal opinion is none of them are really needed. But it will help you to start. Because see, let me explain to the why of the Eastern, where I'm coming from. Just like me, I'm a tree stand hunter. A lot of saddle hunters. The moment you draw your bow, if you if you're really hungry enough, you notice the deer always come out on the wrong place. Your entire body is twisted. Your geometry is 99% out. And not to mention you can, when you do saddle, your entire angle, the 90 degree, your drawing to your anchor arm, to your draw arm, all of them are out. Mm -hmm. Then you try to use your kiss button, your nose button, whatever. It's not possible. Because if you really try to draw the dots, like just do a, like a typical sport uh, analysis, you draw all your dots of where the important part is. None of them are, are right anymore. So what's left? I learned this from a very, very, actually I learned it from the guy who designed laser range finders. The, the answer is that you need to absolutely, your bow on your anchor point and your, your, your pip sight. That's the only two things you got left, your sight and your pip sight. What you're looking for is concentric circles. Actually, one sight company, I believe that also use concentric circles built into the top of the sight ring. But the fact is that the moment you have concentric circles, at least you know the geometry of your bow is correct. Because it's not about anchoring. It's about whatever. See, the anchoring, what you're trying to do is that you try to recreate the, 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 the repeatable geometry of your bow, not you. 
Because you think about it, if you are standing on a uh, on a saddle or you are all twisted on your tree stand, your body is already off from the original geometry. So what's left? You need to put the bow in the shape of that geometry the best you can, which in that cases, the only thing left is your circle of your peep side and the circle of your side. The moment this two point is concentric, you guarantee the bow is concentrate. Am I making sense? Yeah. Which a lot of people do not recognize this part because see, they keep on trying to use their body, which is a flexible object. The face is moving object. You're trying to do all of the moving points to form a repeatable geometry. That's not possible. Not especially when you try to shoot the deer that is on the right-hand side behind your tree. Um, <laughs> you would expect to maintain that geometry and hopefully your kisser button, your peep side will be on when your entire body and your face is all twisted. Then how can you maintain that correct geometry? Remember, at the end of the day, the bow is a mechanical piece. The repeatability of the anchor, of the point of where you hold a bow and the bow is and, and bow holding and the bow until that geometry is maintained. You don't have a repeatable shot. Am I helping? Yeah. What are your thoughts, Tyler? Yeah. So, you know, I agree with a lot of that. I don't personally use a a peep side, or I mean, I don't I don't personally use a nose button or a kisser button. If I was going to use one of the two, it would be a nose button and never a kisser button. Um, to me, you run into some draw length issues with a kisser button because mm -hmm. if, if you're worried about trying to find that all the time, there's probably a pretty good chance your draw length or your sight picture is not ideal. Um, <laughs> because like I said, depending upon what range I'm shooting, my string may be slightly over the corner of my mouth or down into the corner of my mouth, depending upon range, because my anchor has to slightly change to adjust for the geometry to make that shot. Okay. Because that's, you have people that'll come in and they'll set their, like a, let's say a target shooter, an indoor shooter, they'll set their bow up to where they're just shooting at a dot at 20 yards. Well, then they take that same bow and go outside and try to shoot it at 60 yards. And now the peep's going to feel super high, like you're having to reach up to see through it. And it all has to do with how your anchor slightly changes to accommodate shooting that distance. So, like I say, for me, if I had a kisser button, there it would it would for me it would personally create other issues now a nose button makes a little more sense because at least it's basically putting your eye directly behind the peep sight all the time because the distance between your eyeball and your peep sight to make it consist concentric stays the same now the problem is is like George was saying, is if you ever are contorted or out of sorts in any way, it may slightly change the location of where it is going to actually contact your face to make it concentric. Um, but to me, that makes more sense than a kisser button. If somebody says, well, I need an extra reminder, I need an extra something. To me, 100%, I'd say, well, that's what you want to do. Go with a nose button. That makes way more sense to me. But oh, absolutely. And then, and then, you know, it makes way more sense to me 
And the, and the thing is, is, you know, there's target guys out there right now that are probably like, this dude doesn't know what he's talking about. I shoot one of those and I pay the bills with a bow. There are guys out there that that's what they do. But a lot of those guys shoot a fixed game. Like, mm-hmm. um, they shoot just 50 meter, like USA archery or, or FIDA competitions. They shoot mm-hmm. just indoor 18 meter or 20 yard stuff. Well, if I'm standing there and that's all I do, hell yeah, you can put that stuff in there and it will make it absolutely repeatable because nothing changes. The mm-hmm. geometry of your shot never changes. Mm-hmm. You have to be dynamic when you have to make a change when you're shooting, um, you know, multiple varying ranges, varying angles, those things. Um, absolutely would not shoot any kind of kisser button or mouth facial location device whether it's a knot crimped on the string a piece of tied thread whatever it is that you use i probably wouldn't do that it just wouldn't work for me there's some people out there that can maybe make it work and a lot of it probably has to do with the shape of their face it may not change that much with the shape of their face with me it changes a lot um and you know the faster your bow is the faster your sight tape is the less travel your site has to change yardages. So the less your anchor point is going to change. Somebody that's got a super fast arrow, super fast bow, they shoot a very tight sight tape. So from 20 to hundred yards might be an inch where for me, 20 to hundred yards is an inch and three quarters or two inches. Right? So obviously for me to be able to move my site that much, my anchor point is slightly going to change to accommodate a concentric site picture. Sure. Mm-hmm. So everyone is, is different. You know, somebody that, that um can do that you know i applaud them because it gives you an extra reference point um but the problem is for me is i'm kind of mental right like my brain is fried on stuff all the time it's just it's it's if i get too many things to think about then i don't concentrate on the important Mm -hmm. parts when i put a like for me when i put a nose button on a bowstring do i shoot it well yes the problem is, is I, all I think about is the freaking nose button. Put your nose in, yeah. <laughs> I don't think about, because I had, you know, for me, I had to take and like dull it because it was so sharp. It like bored a hole into my nose, but, but um, I shot it well, but I had to change my anchor point. My peep height rose, everything changed. The, I had to build my shot around the nose, button. didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and Somebody would say, well, that's because you're doing it wrong. Well, maybe so, but the way I do it now is repeatable for me. Um, and I don't have a hole in my nose. So, you know, because I, I literally would draw the thing back and was, it was literally during my shot, I was just thinking about the pressure on the end of it. And was I too much or not enough or whatever? And I wasn't really thinking about executing my shot. When at the end of the day, a properly executed shot will hit the middle nine times out of 10 mm-hmm. where one that's not might hit four out of 10. Okay. So in, in my complicated mind, less is more, the less Mm -hmm. I have to worry about the, the better off I'm going to be. And I just go back to muscle memory. I draw it back. I get it where I need to be. I make sure my sight picture is what way it's supposed to be or what is my brain likes to see because everybody's brain is different. You know, some, some people like to center their whole housing. Some people just like to center a pin. I grew up in the days of you just center a pin. That's still what I do. It's easier and I can shoot a smaller peep sight doing it. So for me, it's more accurate. I hunt with a, like a three thirty seconds or an eighth inch peep, sometimes even smaller if I can get away with it, if the light conditions allow it, I'll shoot a little smaller one just because I don't worry about 
my whole housing. I put the pin right in the center because that's what I know. That's what my brain was trained to do when I was seven years old because there wasn't any round site housings in 1989. Nope. Right? <laughs> they were they were brass pins that I put my mom's like glow in the dark fingernail polish on, you know, and along with doors, there was times whenever my 20 yard pin might be here and my 30 was an eighth inch outside of it. And my 40 might've been a little further outside of that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you, you adjusted it yet. You made the best with what you had. So I center the pin. That's just me. That's what my brain likes to see. That's how I do it. Um, you know, well, let me throw the, in a little bit things, which I have learned. The reason that I really tell people when they insist on the kiss the button, you're relying too much on the kiss the button when you do that. Yeah. And the worst part, you said, the moment you go into deep winter, two things you should have in most hunters. They start growing facial hair and they will have their face mask. Mm. That will screw you up so badly, it's not even funny. That's yeah. And then... Mm -hmm. that's That was one of the draws to me on shooting the nose button was because I wear a face mask and mm -hmm. I, I put the big nose button on there so I could feel it through my face mask. That was yeah. one of the mm -hmm. that was one of the draws to it for me. Very simple. I will tell you very easily. Step yourself forty five degree backwards towards the target. Now torsion yourself at least forty five degree back and shoot the target once. You will now ask yourself this question: If you cannot do that, don't take that shot to kill. But if you want that, that's what you need to practice with. At least try it because on the day. When, the, when your target buck is in front of, behind you, close to 90 degrees behind you, and you now want to make that shot, you regret it so much. I, I know because I have done that once. Not on a really big deer, <laughs> but I really regret that I shot it because first of all, I never practiced it, mm -hmm. but I figured that I was good enough to make the shot. The fact is that if you haven't done it, that Hail Mary stuff never worked, at least not for me. I would tell them if, if whatever needs to happen wrong, just remember, this is what I learned from another old gentleman who, who saw a guide meat hunt in the woods. Murphy's loss is 10 times more powerful. <laughs> whatever went wrong, wrong, will absolutely go wrong with you when the big boy showed up. <laughs> that's a 100% fact. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, Unfortunately, we weren't able to really get into much of setting the bow up, um, but yeah. I, that's okay to me. Um, the draw length is, like you guys said, it's super critical, and yep. it's something that a lot of people get wrong. So we'll mm -hmm. we'll continue the rest of the bow setup in another podcast because mm -hmm. I think I think uh, that was a good conversation on draw length, yep. the how important it is, and then we got a little bit into. Um, the nose button, kisser button stuff. So, is there yeah, anything? Yeah, because else? that is critical. You're talking execution until yeah. you got that down. You, you, you're not because a lot of people believe that they practice correctly. Right. And as I said, you need to practice what you actually shoot. And if you got, if you're on your tree stand, you know you're going to do some weird shape. You better practice that one. There's no sure. way around it. Sure. Is there anything else you guys want to add to this conversation? Man, I I just think that you know. Especially if you're new, find somebody that is legitimately knowledgeable, not somebody that just tells you they they are, but have no no way to, to show it to you. You know what I mean? Um, find somebody that's knowledgeable to help you 
um, make sense of draw length and things like that because it's really critical. Your experience with a bow will go up. Um, you know, don't be macho. Don't try to have a longer draw length than what you think it is. Don't be overbowed, have too much weight or too heavy of a bow. Get something that fits. Your whole archery experience will change and it will be for the better. It's not going to be for the worse. And, um, you know, that's going to be one of those deals. And I think moving forward, we can get into, you know, a lot more because there's a handful of things that are really critical on bow setup because it starts from the ground up. I made a post on, I think, Instagram the other day talking about your initial setup, fitment and bow setup will determine your success down the road. And uh, it's super important. And I think it's something that maybe more people need to know because there's some things in there that are overlooked that I think people don't understand the importance um, of it and, and the fact that it has a direct um, correlation with your success down the road. Um, because the more forgiveness we can build into your setup, the more successful you're going to be. Because everybody says when you're at home in the backyard, you can make anything work. All the adjustments you make look good and you have a great uh, experience with your target. But when you're in the woods or you're under pressure on a tournament or something like that, everything changes. Your body changes, your, your mental attitude changes. Um, all those things come into play. So if you have something that is really set up good, and it's proper uh, and forgiving, there's a really high chance of success. If it doesn't, and you've just been band-aiding a problem and trying to make it work, it will show its ugly head in the worst time possible. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Well, stay tuned, guys, for the next episode because we're going to get into um, starting all that stuff that Tyler was just talking to. Um, if anyone has any questions for you, Tyler, if anyone wants to look more into what you have going on, where can they find you? Um, so you can go to like Instagram, I think is winterhawk underscore pro shop. Um, you can, uh, I think on Facebook, you can look me up at just Tyler Terry or um, Terry built original archery design LLC and winterhawk outfitters Inc. Um, those are all pages that we've got. Uh, and then uh, our new website will launch. I think uh, it's, it's like an e-commerce site for the store. Um, think in a day or two um and it will be just www.wotoad like w-o-t-o-a-d.com um and then uh but yeah that's that's the easiest ways to get a hold of me probably and then you know i'll do my best to answer any questions as far as somebody wants to dive into it i'll i'll try to help um because it's it's just super important my goal is to to try to educate some folks on some things that get overlooked or maybe not are fully understanded um, to help you be successful. I mean, that's what we want. We want people to be successful in archery because that keeps them in the game. When something is, is hard to do and it's hard to be successful with, it's easy to put down. Yeah. Well said. George, where can people reach out to you? Well, for me, it's simple. Fineart.com. Or they, they, if they look at my website, they can always call me and we can chit chat. Um, I do this because I want to help. This is my retirement gig and I really enjoy helping anybody and everybody. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, same for me. If anyone has any questions for me, I've, I've been getting quite a few questions on, uh, Instagram, reach out to me there. Everyone's email address will be in the show notes of this episode. So feel free to reach out to any of us and we'll get your questions answered. But for now, uh, we'll talk to you next time.